Well, today, we continue a series entitled, We Believe. And uh, we've been working our way through the Apostles' Creed as the backdrop for our conversation on Sunday mornings. And because of uh, the way we started and launched and we didn't calculate the weeks appropriately, we could have, but we sort of jumped around a little bit. And so as we read through the creed, you'll realize that uh, the topic of conversation today comes quite, quite early in the creed. And uh, we've sort of been delaying, delaying to get to today. And so what we've done as we uh, have talked, we've Every week, we've read the Apostles' Creed together. And for some of you, this is very familiar to the tradition that you've practiced historically. Some of you have grown up in churches that uh, uh, regularly read the Creed. Some of you, perhaps even in your confirmation classes in other places of worship and uh, following Jesus, you've memorized the Apostles' Creed. And for some of you, perhaps this is the very first time you've ever heard of such a thing as the Apostles' Creed. Let me just say to you, it's an historic document that simply outlines the large matter of agreement that followers of Jesus share. It's just some big rock ideas that help us organize ourselves around what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, there are perhaps hundreds, if not thousands of people today who are being baptized and part of their preparation for baptism was simply memorizing and walking through the Apostles' Creed as preparation for today's identification as a new follower of Jesus. They're making a public profession of faith. And so we join them in their profession of faith by making our profession of faith in terms of reading the declaration of the Apostles' Creed, which begins with we believe. And so if you will, I'm going to count to three, and I'd like for you to read the creed with me. And it simply is this, one, two, three, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Just a comment on the last word. Amen. And it's our prayer for you that there is an amen in your life to that creedal statement. Amen simply means may it be so or so be it. And that's our prayer for you. That wherever you are and wherever you've come from that you will experience the transforming love of Jesus in such a way that your life and our lives together create space for new believers and for followers of Jesus to grow. And as we orient ourselves around being followers of Jesus and we read these historical declarations of faith that we say, yes, may it be so in me. I think of a prayer that, one of the first prayers that I ever learned, it's a Jesus preferred prayer 
when his disciples asked, would you teach us to pray? Jesus taught them this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm just going to stop right there because I'm not going to continue the rest of the prayer, but I want to comment on the observation that when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray in such a way that we're not passive observers, but there were active participants. Holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Pause. And you can insert and not do injustice to the Scripture. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in me right here, right now. As it is in heaven, may it so, so may it be in the earth. And so today, we join with multiplied millions of people who lift their voices in alignment with the creedal statement of the Apostles' Creed as a reflection of what it looks like to be followers of Jesus. And today, we get to celebrate the fact that we believe in the resurrection. And so I want you to join me in simply uh, a voice, an explanation, or, or a, a, an exclamation of uh, what uh, thousands and multiplied millions perhaps uh, around the globe are doing. It goes like this. I'm going to say he is risen, and your reply is he is risen indeed, okay? Got it? I'll, I'll say he's risen, and then you say he's risen indeed, okay? So he is risen. He is risen. A little more gusto. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Today we proclaim that he is risen. And to take a look at the empty tomb and the risen Lord, we're going to go back to the Gospels. And I want to look at Luke chapter 24 in our passage of Scripture today. And if you haven't grabbed your listening sheet, it looks just like this. It's on the inside of your program. If you like to follow along and take notes, uh, you may do so. This may help you do that. If you also, if you like to go online uh, to the Bible app, uh, we, we produce all the notes there. And uh, somebody remind me, what's the name of the Bible app? UVerse Bible app. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I need all the help I can get, so I may ask for help as we go along the rest of the morning. Uh, as we look at uh, Luke 24... Is it not there? Doggone it. I hope I have a Bible. Oh, somebody help me. UVerse. For all of you who have your smartphones, just go to UVerse, the Bible app. UVerse, what? Man, you got to, come on, help me. UVersion. Wow. Okay, we're really off to a good start here. All right, Luke. Luke 24, I'm going to read the verse, uh, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Interestingly enough, pause and insert, this was a truly a labor of love. It's highly likely, can't prove it, but highly likely that they're practicing their love of Jesus in a profound way that uh, is costly to them not only in their time but their energy. It's highly likely that they were carrying with them over 75 pounds of spices. Like they were going to make sure that the stench of death 
was taken care of. They came prepared to lovingly care for their Lord. They came prepared to lovingly care for their teacher. And so they, they brought this labor of love to the tomb. And when they got to the tomb, they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. That would be awesome. Like special effects, clothes that gleam like lightning. In their, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still alive in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told, told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. And all the apostles were glad and rejoiced. Not so much. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The question that we ask ourselves today with Peter is simply this. What happened? What happened? We boldly proclaim that the stone has been rolled away. We boldly proclaim that the tomb is empty. We boldly proclaim that he's risen. We boldly proclaim that he is with us. We boldly proclaim as Christ followers all around the world, proclaim that Jesus is alive. But what happened in the resurrection? I want to try and help you understand a little bit about what happened in the resurrection by uh, just over the next few minutes identifying four things that I see that happened in the resurrection. And so the first of these is simply this. The resurrection confirms who Jesus is. The resurrection confirms who Jesus is. Uh, even in Luke chapter 24, he says, Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Jesus talked about his death with his followers. He talked about what would happen. And then uh, it happened. And when it happened, they were confused. And so a little bit of time began to pass and the first written record that we have with regard to what happened in the resurrection comes to us from Paul. Paul is the first writer who tells us about what transformed in the resurrection of Jesus. And he does so in Romans chapter 1 and 2. He does so in the book of 1 Corinthians. But I want to just point to you uh, Romans chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. And he says simply this, The gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ 
our Lord. The resurrection confirms that Jesus Christ is Lord. Theologian Michael Byrd in his book says, the resurrection is concrete proof that Jesus really, really was the Messiah. He was not a false prophet, not a royal pretender, not a lunatic, and not a mere martyr. Jesus is the Son of God, and as the Son of God, He is the Savior of the world. The bedrock truth of Christianity is this. Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Without the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. Without the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. The second thing that we observed in terms of what happened in the resurrection is simply this. The resurrection assures us that our sins have been forgiven. Kurt did a wonderful job last week talking about the crucifixion. Today we talk about the resurrection. And so as we talk about the resurrection, again, Romans 4 and uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Romans 4, he says, He was delivered over to death for our, say it together, sins. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Let's just pause there for a second. The word justification simply means that God has fully and completely and finally dealt with our sins once and for all. And as we follow him, this is what I remember as a kid, my justification is simply this. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And that's really, really good news. The resurrection assures us that our sins have been forgiven. Paul even goes further when he says this, And if Christ, in 1 Corinthians, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He's not beating around the bush here. He's throwing all of his eggs into one basket. And the basket is the basket of resurrection. If he's not alive, if the tomb is not empty, then we, he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, we are miserable people because we are people with no hope. But today we are filled with hope and have the assurance that our sins are forgiven because Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty. The cross and the resurrection declare that our sins have once and for all been forgiven. That's good news. That's good news. The third thing that I see that happens in the resurrection is simply this. The resurrection launches a kingdom revolution. The resurrection launches a kingdom revolution. We've already read it in Luke chapter 24. So let me just talk about the revolution that's launched in the resurrection. The, resurre the, the, the revolution that's launched in the resurrection is simply this. It begins with a personal revolution. 
an internal transformation that works its way from the inside out as evidenced by the first evangelists of the good news that Jesus is alive. Now, just in, in backdrop, let me say something about the historical, historical uh, context in which the resurrection occurred. First of all, if you and I had written the, the Gospels, we would have written them perhaps differently if we were writing them from our day because we would have chosen more credible witnesses to be the first evangelists of the good news. Let me be really, really clear. We would have not chosen women. Women in that day were not trusted with messages that needed to be transmitted appropriately and, and, and truthfully. They just weren't reliable. And I say, how sad, but how wonderfully glad are we that the very first evangelists of the good news were women. So women, take heart. Take heart. Jesus believes in you, and so do we. Jesus entrusts his message to you, and so do we. We want you to stand in the gifts and the calling to which you've been given by the Spirit and by Jesus to be all that you've been called to be in and through his wonderful, powerful, empowering presence. See, we, we wouldn't have chose women. Or, or should, we, we may have, but they wouldn't they wouldn't have chosen women if they wanted to write a story that had credibility. But in fact, the very first witnesses of Jesus, the testimony is from wonderful group of women. The second thing in terms of uh, this revolution that begins is, is not just the revolution of, of the first evangelists. There's this internal power. You see, if I don't say this, I'll miss, out, miss the primary point. The women had such an internal transforming experience of Jesus and his resurrection that they boldly ran back to their friends and said, we've seen the empty tomb. He's not there. He's alive. And to their surprise, I'm sure, the disciples went, tell me that again, because that's really hard to believe. It says it was incredibly unbelievable but then what happened? That unbelief got hold of a couple of them as you read through the gospel stories, and Peter and John found their way through doubt to faith. And that's the place where the revolution of Jesus' resurrection takes place in each and every one of us. The resurrection of Jesus can move us from doubt and unbelief to faith. And the awareness and the presence and the life of Jesus can become alive in you today. Perhaps you came here today a doubter, but before you leave, it's possible to believe. Perhaps you came here today uncertain, but before you leave, it's possible that the resurrection power of Jesus awakens you and interacts with you in such a way that you're quickened to faith and your doubt is turned to faith and you begin an exploration of who Jesus is, the resurrected Lord, in a new and life-transforming way. That would be our prayer for you today if you came here with doubt. 
But it takes the transformation of resurrection moves us, moves us from insignificant to significance. That's what he did for the women. Insignificant to significance. The power of the transformation moves us from doubt to faith. And the power of the revolution, of the, of the resurrection that launches us into this kingdom revolution then begins in Matthew 28. And he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we experience the personal and powerful revolution of transformation, the thing that happens in us is simply this. It's too good to keep to ourselves. It's just too good to keep to ourselves. And so when you read Matthew 28, Jesus is getting ready to ascend. He simply says this. As you go about your everyday, ordinary lives, be sure that you shine brightly of the transforming power you've experienced. Go. He just assumes. While you are going on your way, shine brightly. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to shine brightly? It just simply means this. It means in your everyday, ordinary life, share the life-transforming experience that you've encountered with others. Share the life-transforming experience that you have encountered with others. All you have to do is just tell people where Jesus has met you, what Jesus has done for you, how Jesus has changed your life, how Jesus has brought hope to your life, how Jesus has brought comfort, peace, challenge to your life. And then here's the assurance that we have with regard to this launching of a kingdom revolution. The assurance is this, that as we go sharing our lives with others, there's a continuance of the revolution of transformation within us because as we go, the Spirit of God within us and His life-transforming power creates in us an awareness and a nurturing of the abiding, ongoing presence of Jesus today, tomorrow, next month, next year, and always. That's what he says. He says, you guys go, and we're, we're part of those who are goers. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're part of those who are goers, and the promise is this. You'll never go anywhere that Jesus doesn't go with you. That's good news. That's really, really good news. Let me finish the fourth, the fourth thing that we discover about what the resurrection means is simply this. The resurrection calls us to discipleship. The resurrection calls us to discipleship. You see, the ministry of Jesus calls us to discipleship, to be followers of his who are actively engaged in kingdom ministry. And as we're his followers actively engaged in kingdom ministry, we reflect his ongoing, continuing ministry. The resurrection 
and ensuing gift of the Spirit that comes 50 days after the ascension. It comes 50 days after. It, there's, this, there's this empowering engagement that calls us and invites us to ministry. And simply, the resurrection that calls us to discipleship calls us to ministry. Discipleship is ministry. Ministry is discipleship. And let me just say it this way. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Paul's gone in the chapter of, uh, uh, 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul's informing followers of his of what it looks like to be those who live faithfully and who die. And when he concludes that, that chapter, he says this, Therefore, now that, think about this, Therefore, because, because Christ is raised and you have the hope of resurrection because Christ is no longer dead and you have the hope of living faith and hope into the future, he says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's another way to say that. Stand firm in the truth, giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your discipleship in the Lord is never in vain. Discipleship. Discipleship is being available, receptive, and obedient. Discipleship is not necessarily a program. Discipleship is a lifestyle of availability. And I want to suggest to you that one of the greatest challenges we face in our fast-paced, hectic world is slowing our lives sufficiently to be available. Just slowing our lives sufficiently to be available. So that in our availability, we hear the resurrected one by the power of his spirit speak to us so that we can be receptive and obedient. Slowing our lives will cause increased opportunity for spiritual growth. That means you've got to disconnect and unplug every now and again. That means you've got to turn the gadgets and the gizmos off. And I don't know how you do that in your family, but I'll suggest to, to you that for you to nurture your souls and do it well, that you need to figure out how to turn the gadgets and gizmos off. Oh, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying you've got to figure out how to turn them off. I love them, but they're intoxicating. They're intoxicating. They're intoxicating. They're intoxicating. Somebody just reminded me that I'm talking in contradictory terms. I'm telling you to turn them off, but I'm telling you to look at them. Right? I, I, I get it. I get it. Let's make sure they serve us and we don't serve them. That's all I'm saying. Let's make sure that those gadgets and gizmos serve us and we don't serve them. Because as we slow the pace of our lives, We'll discover space, the possibility of space to experience the revolution of resurrection that changes us and transforms us 
from the inside out. And I'm going to borrow from Eugene Peterson, and don't try to write this down. If you want this, I've got it in my notes. I'll cut and paste it to you, alan at pearlandvineyard.org. Just let me know that you want it, and I'll send it to you, okay? So don't get furiously writing. And with this, I'm done. This is what discipleship looks like. This is what ministry looks like from John's perspective. I washed your feet. You wash. There's an H missing. Why is that? Spell check won't catch that one, will it? You wash one another's feet. I have loved you. You love one another. You've seen me. You'll see the Father. You've seen me work. You'll do my. I've been with you. The Spirit will be with you. I live. You also will live. You are in me. I am in you. I am teaching you. The Spirit will teach and remind you. Abide in me. Abide in you. I was hated. You will be hated. The Spirit will testify. You will testify. I go away. The Spirit will come. I haven't finished what I have to say. The Spirit will tell you. The power of the resurrection releases us and calls us to discipleship. Here's how we close. Simply this. Today, as you're here, I want to invite you to just become aware of yourself and your own life. And here's what I know is possible. That the power of the resurrection has left you doubting. You're not quite sure. You're uncertain. You say, well, Alan, I wish I could say it as confidently as you do. But I'm, I'm not there yet. But you have an awareness that you really, really need God in your life. Maybe you're really, really successful and you found that success doesn't have a, pay, a payoff like you thought. There's more emptiness than you imagined there would be. Perhaps you're going through a really, really difficult time and you feel like you're all alone and you just wish that there was someone who would come alongside you and invite themselves into your life, and you would invite them into your life so that you wouldn't have to be alone. But here's the one thing you're certain of. You know that you need God in your life, and there's an awakening of faith right here, right now. And I want to simply invite you to say yes to the invitation of Jesus by saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And it works like this. Today's decision, this afternoon's decision, this evening's decision. And tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. But we don't want you to walk alone. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to following Jesus, in just a few moments I'm going to ask you to do that. Here's what I also know. I also know that you're here perhaps and you're a follower of Jesus and you're saying, man, Alan, right now my experience is like really low. Like almost... My, my, my pulse, my Christian pulse, as I'm aware of it, is really, really weak. 
and my God experience is limited and I'm empty and I need to be refilled and re-energized again. That's the power of resurrection that can bring us to life this morning. And that power is available to each and every one of us. The reason we need to experience the ongoing presence of Jesus is because we leak. It's a human condition. We leak. So it says nothing about your faithfulness. It says nothing about how good of a follower of Jesus you are to say, I'm in need and I want to experience more of the life's transforming power of Jesus. I stand in need of that every day. And I stand in need of that today. And I stand with those of you who say, I need a greater awareness and experience of the presence of Jesus in my life today 